Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 3. The Crow's Nest. Come on, James said. Let's follow him. He set off after the hooded man, who was walking away fast down New Road with James's keys in his pocket. Jenny started to move when the backstage door opened and Helen stuck her head out and looked up and down the road. Hey, aren't you the kids that wanted to look at the lighting? She said. Yes, Jenny said. James turned back, urging Jenny to follow him. You're in luck, Helen said. The lighting team's just turned up and can show you their rig. He's getting away, James said quickly. Great, Jenny said to Helen. We'd love to come and look. Listen. Don't let me keep you from more important things, Helen said, glancing from Jenny to James. If you want to see the lights, follow me now. Otherwise, I've got another group to show round. We're coming, Jenny said, with a stern look at James. The hooded man disappeared into a crowd at the end of the road. James looked torn between chasing after and doing the right thing. He chose wisely. Yeah, let's take a look, he said quietly half-heartedly sweeping some of the black dirt off his clothes. They took a different route this time. Helen led them quickly past the stairs and through to the auditorium itself, then past the first few rows of seats, through another door, and up a wide, carpeted staircase. Quite a few steps later, they were high up at the back of the great balcony. The whole venue was spread out below them. Well, Jenny and Helen were up there. James was still finishing the stair climb. He joined them, sweating and breathing heavily. You okay? Helen asked him. Fine, he managed through big gulps of air. I'm fine. They were next to a place where half a dozen seats had been removed to make space for lighting and sound controls. A big mixing desk took up most of the room. There was a man in black jeans and a faded black t-shirt sitting in front of two computer screens by the side of the sound desk. This is Benj, Helen said with a J at the end. He's one of our lighting techs. He can explain all this stuff. She waved a hand at the equipment and then disappeared back downstairs. Check out these bad boys, he said. We got four new big spots on 360 gyro servos. You can fix them on a static or moving target with this app. Let me show you how it works. Benj went on like this for more than a few minutes. He was wiry and young and didn't seem to notice that he was speaking to children. It was a little cramped around the lighting controls, so Jenny took a swivel stool at the sound desk. She was able to hear everything that Benj and James said. That's not to say that she actually understood all of it. This was the crow's nest, as Benj called it. He explained how everything worked in great speed and technical detail. The lights were run off a central server in the basement, but the controls were all up in the nest. Check this out, Benj said. There was a new school group on the stage being shown around by Helen. Benj brought up a live view of the stage on screen. He used his finger to touch Helen, who was standing slightly apart from everyone. Immediately, the app mapped a crosshair to her centre of mass, and when she moved, so did the crosshair. Cool, James said. Can you track multiple targets? We can do two, but for most shows one's enough. You'll see why in a second. Benj hit another button, and then another. First the normal theatre light went out, then a powerful spotlight lit Helen up like a prisoner on the run. 
Benj, you idiot, she shouted up at him. Quit fooling around. I'm working down here. Come up here and make me, he said into a desk microphone, and his voice boomed out of the huge speakers at the side of the stage. You know what I want. Perform. The woman shook her head. She looked like she was going to shout again, then thought better of it. She walked from one side of the stage to the other. The spotlight followed her there and back. When she reached the edge of the curtain, the bright light illuminated something for a moment. A hand darted back out of the light. Jenny nudged James. Did you see that? she whispered. The hand? Yeah, he said. Keep an eye out. Helen completed the little display, and Benj reset the lights. Like it, he said. It's amazing, James said. And you said we can have sound-activated lighting programs? What's the maximum coverage? Jenny ignored the conversation. Her attention was on stage left. Sure enough, less than a minute later, the figure of a girl appeared at the side of the stage. This time, James nudged her and pointed at the live feed on Benj's screen. While they were talking about angles and power, James nudged a control and the screen zoomed in on the girl. She was pretty, possibly Chinese or Japanese, very neat, with long black hair. Slowly, while no one else was looking, the girl rejoined the rest of the people on stage. She didn't do anything unusual after that. Then Helen led the group off the stage. For the next ten minutes, James led a discussion about whether he could create a sequence that would work with all of the different lights and effects that the dome could offer. Jenny zoned out a little, thinking about the girl sneaking off and what had happened to James earlier. Did you say there was a server in the basement that powers the rig up here? she asked. Is the server under the stage? Yeah, we got a rack down there, Benj said. Not just for the lighting, but for all the computer systems in the building. Not much to look at. We do all the interfacing up here. So the data cables run into that room? Yep. It's a big mess of switches and patch cables and dust. Could, uh, could we look at it? James said, going along with Jenny. I'm trying to get into networking more. It's not a great example, to be honest, Benj said. Wouldn't help in learning how it's supposed to be done. I don't even have keys for it. They're with building services, and it's filthy down there. Helen appeared at the door to the balcony. Time's up, you two, she called over. Benj, have I told you how much I hate you? Anyway, you've got to start getting ready for the lighting check in half an hour. Kids, you've got to get out of here. They thanked Benj, who said they could come back any time, a thought that was not mirrored by Helen in any way at all. Once they were outside, James suggested that they went to the library to talk about how he should proceed with the lighting plan. I've got to meet Hugo there later anyway, James said. What? Jenny said. You're going to spend extra time with Hugo? At the weekend? You're more bored than I thought. It's not that, James said half-heartedly. Well, maybe it's a bit that. His mum is German, so he's pretty much fluent. He's helping me out. Ah, Jenny said. She looked at her watch. I can't come now. I've got to get to dance practice. Have fun with Hugo. The two children parted, James walking towards the library, and Jenny turning up the hill to the Breithelm Centre for dance practice. Her school dance group had started practicing at the church hall the previous year, and they were using it again this year for extra sessions to get ready for the royal performance. She met up with Marie at the entrance hall, and they went into the main hall and put their bags down at the back. Jenny took her coat off and changed shoes. Marie was changed before her. 
Did you learn the third section yet? Marie asked. I've been practising it in my bedroom, Jenny said, tying her laces. But I can't get the timing right. I need to see the teacher do it again. The rhythm is so hard. It's the hardest. I get out of time almost immediately. I think I need to learn a simpler version first, but there just isn't time. I can't wait to dance for the princess. Wait, did you get to look at the stage today? More of the dance group filtered in, filling up the back of the room, talking and changing and stretching. Yes, the stage is huge. There's so many... They were cut off when the teacher came in and clapped her hands three times. Everyone in position, she said sharply. We've no time for chatting until after Christmas. For the next hour and a half, the children practised the third section over and over again, until the teacher was almost happy that everyone could get the timing right. Then they were allowed a short lunch break. It was stuffy in the hall, so Jenny and Marie sat on a bench in the little grassy area outside to eat. Jenny was starving and was happy listening to Marie's take on the latest royal family gossip while she ate her sandwiches. It was only when they got up to go back in that Jenny noticed the large black bird perched on top of the multi-storey car park that nestled right up to the Brighthelm building. It was watching her. She was sure of it. After another two hours of practice, she had almost forgotten about the crow and the hooded man, she was tired, sweaty, and her thighs were aching when she left the Brighthelm Centre. She was thinking about getting the bus home and relaxing in a nice warm bath when she spotted the dark shape on the building across the road. Zipping her coat all the way up, she started walking back down toward the dome, keeping half an eye on the bird perched on the roof line. It was still watching her. She made a quick right turn toward North Street and walked a little faster. Halfway down the street, she looked around and saw the bird beating its wings overhead. It was following her. She was sure of it. And she didn't like it. She turned left onto North Street. It was a busy weekend and the pavements were filled with shoppers. She walked down the hill and stopped in the bus stop outside Decathlon. Through the Christmas lights strung across the road, she saw the bird settle itself on the corner of a building, waiting for her. The idea of the bird following her on the bus all the way home was not an appealing one. She had to lose it. She knew just the place and walked slowly down the hill, half an eye on the bird. It watched her from the building. It didn't need to move to follow her while she stayed on North Street. She waited at the lights and crossed the road, continuing downhill, still in the sight of the crow. Then she took a quick right into the lanes and started to run. The lanes in Brighton are not much more than a few connected alleys and passages with touristy shops and cafes in. But Jenny knew them well enough to know that from the crow's position it wouldn't be able to see her. For a few seconds, at least. She sprinted down the narrow lane, dodging people and apologising as she went. The lane got narrower, only two people wide as it squeezed between a pub and a jeweller's. She took a left turn, hopped over a buggy, and ran round the edge of a small square with a fountain in it, careful not to step into the open air. After a shallow flight of stairs, she turned left and back towards North Street, pulled off her coat, slowed to a walk, and came out under some scaffolding. They had recently opened up a new lane, and there was building work still going on. Loitering under the scaffolding while people streamed past, she peered out through a gap between planks and scanned the sky for the crow. It was there, high above the ground, 
flapping indecisively with an irregular cadence over the street where she had taken the first lane. It was there for a long minute, stuttering, agitated, a butterfly looking for a flower, looking for her. She tucked herself back against the shop window, sure that the crow could not see her. Then the black shape disappeared out of sight, back toward the dome. Jenny remained under the scaffolding until she saw her bus coming, then crossed quickly and climbed on board. She sat on the top deck, her coat inside out and pulled over her like a blanket, and her woolly hat pulled down low. The bus rounded the corner at the bottom of North Street and stopped in front of the Royal Pavilion. Skaters were out in force, trudging their way round the ice rink that occupied the front lawn of the pavilion for the Christmas season. Jenny did not like skating, but scanned the roofs of the buildings for the crow. There were groups of seagulls, pigeons and crows scattered around the pavilion and its grounds. On the top of the leftmost onion-shaped dome of the royal pavilion sat a bird alone. It was big and black, bigger than the other crows by a good margin. Jenny shrank in her seat, but the bird was not watching the buses. It beat its wings hard, the same halting rhythm, then fluttered to the ground in front of one of the pavilion's pillars. It was definitely the bird they'd seen earlier with James's keys. It was hopping from foot to foot, beak opening and closing, as if it were talking to someone. Or something. The bus moved forward, giving Jenny an angle to see behind the pillar. There, deep in the shadow, was a huge rat, standing on its back legs, talking to the crow. Jenny craned her neck to try and see more, but the bus rounded a bend, and the pavilion was out of sight. The crow alone was strange enough. That it might have stolen James's keys was intriguing. But talking to a rat meant there was almost certainly something bad going on. She decided that rather than go straight home, she would go to see James. Plus, he might need a little moral support after his time practising German with Hugo. Getting off the bus one stop early, large raindrops started falling, heavy against the bus shelter. Jenny put her coat hood up, and turned back down toward James's road, still wary of being followed. The rain, miserable as it was, meant that nothing was flying. Still, she was alert and vigilant, and so when she was still two streets from James's, she easily spotted the large man in a coat with a hood. Not unusual in this kind of downpour, but there was something about the way he walked. It was the man from the dome, the same man that had James's keys in his top pocket. And that same man was now within a stone's throw of her friend's house. It could have been a coincidence, of course, but Jenny didn't think so. She picked up her pace and saw the man take the next turning, onto James's road. Jenny suddenly felt afraid of what the hooded man might be about to do. And she wasn't walking anymore. She was running hard through the rain to warn her friend.